Imagine you're in a conversation with some friends who happen to be unbelievers. And they say something like, you know, you Catholics, you really emphasize the Eucharist, but where is that in the Bible? What scripture passage would you go to? Maybe John 6, where Jesus teaches very explicitly about the real, his real presence in the Eucharist, where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life within you. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Maybe it's the Last Supper accounts from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus takes bread and says, this is my body, takes a chalice filled with wine and says, this is my blood, do this in memory of me. Then again, there's St. Paul's remarks on the Eucharist in 1 Corinthians 10 through 11. Those are all great passages from the Bible which speak about the reality of the Eucharist, the sacrament of Christ's body and blood. But there are also a, a plethora of Old Testament passages which, while not explicitly speaking about the Eucharist, prefigure the reality, foreshadow, hint at it. You know, maybe the most obvious example is the miracle of the manna. Israel, when they were liberated from slavery in Egypt, they wandered the desert for 40 years before they could go into the promised land. And God provided for the physical nourishment miraculously by daily raining down bread from heaven. So it wasn't just a, that he miraculously provided for their nourishment, but he did so day after day after day for 40 years until they arrived in the uh, promised land. Now, on its most basic level, literal level, the passages recounting the manna, they speak about a frequent miracle God worked to provide for his people. But God writes a deeper meaning. There are deeper layers of meaning he has written into these events of salvation history, into these words of sacred scripture, so that we can see the manna as foreshadowing the supernatural nourishment in the Eucharist he gives us as we journey on the pilgrimage that is this Christian life to the true promised land of heaven. God wrote a deeper meaning into the miracle of the manna. And we see a similar dynamic at work in our first reading, albeit one that's not as obvious. You know, our first reading, we see a mystical vision the prophet Isaiah has of God's glory and majesty. And this vision of God's glory and majesty, it brings a, a, a intense awareness, an intense awareness of his own unworthiness, of his own sinfulness. He's purified of this unworthiness, of this sinfulness, and then he is sent to be a prophet to God's people. Where is the connection to the Eucharist? Where is the deeper meaning God has written into this? We see it in how Isaiah is purified of his unworthiness. A seraphim, an angel, takes tongs and brings a burning ember from the altar of God and touches Isaiah's lips with this burning coal, and he, he is purified. So too, the Eucharist, which we also receive from the altar of God, is like a burning in, ember or coal, and that the Eucharist is burning with the fire of God's love. You know, the effect of receiving the Eucharist at Mass, it should be to inflame our hearts as a hot coal inflames whatever's around it, to inflame our hearts with love for God and for neighbor. And the purging of Isaiah's unclean lips shows us that Holy Communion, it ought to be this 
purifying encounter with the Lord. When we receive the Lord in the Eucharist, it ought to have this effect of purifying us of our sins. But here we need to distinguish. There are two basic kinds of sins. There's what's typically called a venial sin, a less serious sin. Less serious doesn't mean not dangerous, however. Venial sins, they weaken the life of grace within us. They weaken the love of God in our hearts. They weaken our resolve to do God's will and our determination to stand fast against temptation. And if we are sorry and repentant for these venial sins, the Eucharist burns them away. Of course, there is such a thing as a mortal sin, a sin which severs the life of grace in our soul. These are a serious, a mortal sin would be a serious violation of God's law, done knowingly and deliberately. These mortal sins we must confess in the sacrament of reconciliation before we receive our Lord in Holy Communion, but the Eucharist can help us to avoid mortal sin in the first place because it strengthens us. It's a bulwark against the snares of our enemy, the devil. It increases God's love in us and his grace in us. You know, church history is filled with stories of the lives of the saints who have been sustained and nourished, strengthened, cleansed, purified, sanctified by the Eucharist. One story that I've mentioned time and again from this ambo because of how inspiring it is to me is the story of Father Walter Chizik, this American priest who was imprisoned in the Soviet Union for 23 years for essentially being a priest. It was an atheist country and they didn't want organized religion to be spread. But he was sustained during this time because while in a Siberian gulag, he was able to sneak away at great risk to himself to say mass on his lunch break or whatever. And he suffered for this, but he unequivocally attributed the Eucharist as, to, as what gave him the strength to endure the Siberian prisons that broke many a man or woman who were sent there. None of us are in a Siberian prison, but we all face crosses in this life. And the Eucharist is meant to be a consolation. It's meant to nourish and strengthen us. It's meant to be the burning fire of God's love that will transform us into the saints he created us to be, if only we will let him.